my friend, are listening to the Happy Hearthstone. This episode is brought to you, as always, by listeners just like you. Thank you so much, Roger A., Samurai Flea, Scott L., Nate Dog, Ridiculous Hat, James W., Forrest B., and Electric Mick for making this show happen. You can join them and get some great perks for yourself over at patreon.com slash the happy hearthstone. It's not too late to get your Descent of Dragons pre-order and get the single player for free when it releases. And you support the show in the process. Go over to the happyhearthstone.com, scroll down to the blog post, and click on that one for the links and more information. Hello and welcome to episode 189 of the Happy Hearthstone, the longest running Hearthstone podcast in the history of space and time and cards. I am your dramatically handicapped in my vocal box host, Andrew Brown, and this week I'm joined by the end of this cold that I picked up over the Thanksgiving season. Uh, but I can't take another week off and I need to record this right now. So as much as I wish I could give my voice some more time to heal, I hope that you'll be understanding. And we've got a lot to talk about today uh, with all of the Descent of Dragon cards that have been coming out. I picked a couple, of course, that uh, we'll talk about a little bit. Um, and then during a main topic, I want to talk about the shamanless meta that I've experienced over the past month uh, and really what this last month taught me. I learned some very big lessons during a month when I actually played probably less than I have in a long time and definitely was not able to get as high on the ladder as I ever have. But it was an absurdly important month for the things that I learned that I will be carrying over into the future for this show, for my own gameplay, for my sake, for coaching, uh, for passing on what I've learned to you. So I'm really excited about the content for this show. I hope that it's listenable. Uh, A little behind the scenes for you. Typically when I'm recording episodes, especially these episodes that I do on my own, I'm recording them at work during my lunch break with an afternoon cup of coffee. Uh, Today, due to the nature of my voice and the cold that I've had, I've actually got some hot tea to my side. And even though it is caffeinated, I don't feel like it's real caffeine because it's not black coffee. It's uh, this Tazo tea silliness, which is actually better for you uh, from what I've heard and stuff. But um, I'm forcing myself to drink it because I think it will produce a slightly better product in the end for you all. Well, I hope that you all uh, in the Americas had a great Thanksgiving season. I hope that uh, if you're outside of the Americas that you had a great week. Um, if you're not aware, in, here in the States, uh, for uh, near the end of November, we celebrate a holiday known as Thanksgiving, which is kind of, uh, it was started as a, uh, in honor for the founders of America, but there's a very weathered history and a lot of m- uh, more questionable decisions that were made rather than uh, good things. So I, uh, I take the opportunity to spend time with family eat a lot of food, and uh, connect, and and truly consider what I'm thankful for in my life, because there's no doubt that even if you're good at doing that, you still don't do it enough, and if you're like me, uh, like many other people in this world, uh, you you always uh, spend more time thinking about what you don't have rather than what you do have, and I believe that a lot of what actually creates wholeness is being thankful for the things that are uh, good in our lives and not uh, not spending so much time looking over uh, 
uh, at our neighbor's grass at how green that is instead of there was probably a smarter way to say that. I'm getting over this cold, whatever. <laughs> but uh, me and my family traveled down to Dallas for Thanksgiving. Uh, my side of the family is down there. And, you know, many of you, if you've been listening for a while, you know that my wife and I have a couple of children, uh, three years and six months now is how old they are. Well, my side of the family, I have two younger sisters, and both of them are married and have been multiplying as well. In fact, each of us siblings... Uh, had a child over the past uh, six months. So ours was the first, and then uh, my younger sister uh, had had one about three weeks after, and then my youngest sister had a child uh, a couple months after that. So uh, this Thanksgiving was insane. There were us three, our three spouses, our two parents, and then a total of uh, seven children. So we we were barely not outnumbered, <laughs> and honestly, it was a bit chaotic. Um, one of my siblings still lives in the Dallas area, so they didn't stay at the house, um, but it was still, it, it is a lot of work once you got a lot of young kids running around the house. So this week in Thanksgiving, or this week in Dallas was good connecting with my family, but it was also an extra layer of this season of young adult parenting, I guess, where uh, where things are just chaotic by nature. And so if you're trying to make it not chaotic, you're actually fighting what it is in the first place, and you're probably not going to accomplish what you actually want to uh, because of that. So we embraced it. Um, we spent a uh, good time uh, just connecting with each other and all of that. Uh, there was, uh, I guess we had a, I think, it, I think she's six, six, four, and three, were like the old enough to cause some trouble. And uh, yeah, they caused some trouble when they were playing, but they also loved each other and loved spending time with one another. So so yeah, crazy times all around, but uh, still good times. I think the, the most difficult part, honestly, was that we made the decision to drive down to Dallas from Colorado, which is a 12 or 13 hour drive, especially with uh, the stops we've got to make for our kiddos. And those were long. Our kids did really, really well in the car, so super thankful for that. But as we were coming back to Colorado, there was actually a bomb cyclone that was uh, moving through, and my wife caught it in the weather a few days before, so we were aware of it, and everything we looked at made it seem like it was just going to be a lot of wind, and that's exactly what it was, but like severe wind. Like we literally saw an 18-wheeler that had been blown off the side of the freeway because of that. So uh, we had to slow down and uh, take our time, but we still got through and super thankful that it's all over, honestly. Uh, it's, it's kind of weird because we're turning around and for the Christmas season, we'll be heading over to D.C. to spend time with her family. And because of the way uh, the airlines do their deals, uh, we'll be leaving December 17th, I think, and we'll be spending like three or two and a half weeks out there. I'll be doing some uh, some work off-site. Um, so, in fact, on that note, let me just jump ahead and talk about the next several weeks since I'm talking about it now uh, for this show because I- I'm I'm truly thankful that all of you were so patient. I really wanted to get an episode out the door last week, but was a little too um, too optimistic, I guess, as to what it was going to take to pull that off. But now, with the Descent of Dragons nigh upon us, it's coming soon, uh, Wicked Good and I are nailing down our times to record uh, the episodes for our full reviews 
If you are new to the show, what we do is we wait until all cards have been revealed before we spend three hours at a time going through every card in excruciating detail. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, I hope that I'm fully recovered before we do that because it's only going to uh, sap more, but it's so much fun. And I'm definitely excited to share those things with you. So uh, we will be recording that this week. Uh, we, we haven't quite nailed down the time yet. Uh, we are hoping to live stream those on my Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Andrew is living. And I will tweet out the time as soon as I know, uh, twitter.com slash Andrew is living as well. Probably sometime this weekend in the evening. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely keep your eyes peeled and I'll let you know when to look for that. So part one will be released next week, December 10th. Part two will be released the week after on the 17th. And then my plan is to record and release one more episode right before Christmas hits on the 24th. And then uh, I'll be taking the 31st off, I believe, because I'll be spending that whole week prior with the family uh, more in depth. What's exciting uh, for you all is that I'm actually returning home a little bit before my wife and kids come home. They're spending a few extra days out there. So... Uh, I'll be flying back on New Year's Day on January 1st, and I, I think that they're back on January 8th. So I am going to be planning out some special episodes and some special live streams on Twitch during that week. I'm just beginning planning what those things are going to be, so uh, nothing to announce yet, but want to tease that out because it'll be a lot of fun once it hits, and that's kind of what you can expect. So all the great review shenanigans from myself and Wicked Good, and then we'll get back in the swing. Um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll go back on my word a little bit. I'll say I'll have an episode out either the 24th or the 31st, um, because there's a chance that maybe the week, maybe the 31st actually ends up being a little bit better. Um, I'm actually really excited because I'll be spending time, because I'll be in D.C., and uh, the house that we're at, my in-laws' house, is not quite conducive to working from home. Um, I'm going to actually be traveling to the city in order to uh, work off-site. And so I'm going to feel like my buddy Wicked Good taking the train into D.C. to find a coffee shop to work at. Although he doesn't uh, work at coffee shops every day or uh, any day. But I'm still excited to be a city boy even for a little bit of time because... I've always wished that I could do something like that. So that'll be fun. Okay, that's all the things I can think about for the show. So let's go ahead and jump into why I'm happy. Wait a minute. I already talked about why I'm happy. I had Thanksgiving and all of them. <laughs> had a lot of fun with them. Um, I will say that I've been, I've been really enjoying Battlegrounds a lot. Um, this past month, I um, when I had the freedom to just play for a little bit, I was normally really excited to jump into Battlegrounds. I felt like I needed to play ladder uh, for the sake of the show and also for the sake of not falling too far down once I jump back in. Um, I'll save most of that conversation for the main topic because that's what I have planned. Um, but I will say Battlegrounds has been a ton of fun. I, actually, just this morning, I hit 5,300 MMR on there. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I'm still learning a lot, having a having a blast with it too. And the amount of updates they've been doing with new heroes, uh, with um, with new mechanics and stuff, has just been a blast. So there's a good chance there's new heroes that I can't tell you about right now because uh, this episode is being recorded right before they probably announce them. But regardless, lots of fun to be had. 
and I'll spare you. Let's talk some more Hearthstone with the Hearthstone news. The biggest news, obviously, is that there has been a ton of Descent of Dragons cards that have been revealed, and even more still to come. In fact, uh, we finally got a date and time for the final reveal stream, which is going to be Wednesday, December 4th at 10 a.m. Pacific time on the official Play Hearthstone Twitch channel. This one's going to be with Kriparian, well-known uh, Hearthstone streamer, Dina Yala, better known as Ixar, who's one of the designers for, uh, for Hearthstone, and then Chris Sierra, who's one of the community managers. Great dude. Uh, so... This should be a really fun cast. Um, I think that uh, I think that Ixar is getting a little bit more integrated with the community. I mean, he's always been engaged to some degree, but it really seems like he's been stepping up in the past few weeks, responding to people, uh, being engaged. And I, I I'm kind of hopeful that this stream may even be another step for him to address some of the issues. I've been talking with some of my wild brethren. Uh, in the past day, and they have been just extremely discouraged, and it's really sad, honestly, for me personally to see my friends um, not enjoying the game for one, but also to see the community for the game also shrinking up. It's it's uh, it's not cool. <laughs> I'm not I'm not happy about that. So I'm kind of wondering if they're going to address some of that on here. Uh, th this is, should be more focused on Descent of Dragons, but we'll see how that uh, how that conversation evolves. So. Be sure to check that out again Wednesday, December 4th at 10 a.m. Pacific. If you're listening to this episode after that time, then there are a whole lot of cards out there that you should be looking at right now. And in fact, I wanted to talk about a few of these cards. Again, we'll be waiting for those full reveals or for the full review episodes if they're good to talk about them in depth. But I wanted to draw your attention to a couple of cards that have just been really on my mind lately. And both of them are Dragon Synergistic cards, um, to me, they're actually core pieces to how dragon archetypes are going to work. And so that's why I wanted to bring them up because I probably could spend a really long time on our review episodes talking about them, but wanted to just kind of preview some of those beforehand. So one of them is Dragon Breeder, which is a neutral rare minion. It's a two mana, two, three battle cry, choose a friendly dragon, add a copy of it to your hand. Now, Dragon Breeder is a card that is not flashy as far as its stats are concerned, but its, uh, its effect is obviously the drawing point. And here's the thing, if you're playing a Dragon deck, and now they've really built out that there are a lot of mid-game and late-game dragons uh, that, can, that can make big impacts on the board, Dragon Breeder basically allows you to have a third, or if you're running two of them, a fourth copy of any dragon uh, that you have in your deck. And for him to give you an immediate copy, um, really likens him to Zola the Gorgon. If you remember three mana 2-2, two, two, that you choose a friendly minion and add a golden copy to your hand. Dragon Breeder is obviously uh, more narrow because it's only dragons, but that means you're only going to play it in a dragon deck. So realistically, this is basically a Zola the Gorgon that's just, just for dragon decks. And the fact that it's a rare minion, not a legendary one, means that you can, and I think you will be running two of these in your deck pretty easily. Um, the biggest consistency thing in my mind for dragon decks, historically speaking, has been their ability to have uh, enough cards in hand and specifically have dragons in hand to activate the abilities of if you have a dragon in hand. Dragon Breeder allows you to get another one in your hand. And more than likely, unless this was a random dragon from a different summon effect or 
another spell card or something like that. This is a dragon that you very likely want to have. And so getting another copy of it is great. The fact that it's only two mana means that it's really easy to combo with just about anything. The only things you're not going to be able to are all those big, beefy 9 and 10 mana dragons like Alexstrasza, uh, Emerus, stuff like that, which those two examples are perfect examples where it would be pretty busted if you were able to do that. I think that 2 mana is the perfect place where this card is going to be able to combo well with very significant and impactful dragons, but not be too out of hand with those insane dragons as well. So really excited about Dragon Breeder, and I think it's going to breathe a lot of life um, into, uh, into those Dragon decks' potential. Another, another card I wanted to mention, which has actually been out since, uh, since the initial reveal, but I, I haven't talked about it, and I'm really excited about this one, is Azure Explorer, which is a 4-mana 2-3 common dragon for Mage that reads Spell Damage plus 2, Battle Cry, Discover a Dragon. And it's really just this baby dragon archetype that I'm super psyched about. Not only are they by far the cutest dragons, obviously, um, but the fact that the ones we've seen so far, I think it's just a mage and hunter that we've seen. Um, we know that there's a, uh, we know that there's for sure a paladin one, and I would assume a druid one as well. Uh, the hunter one is three mana. Uh, but they're both 2-3 dragons, and they both have the dis Battle Cry Discover a Dragon tag. So I, I assume those are going to come to the other uh, League of Explorers classes as well. Exact same thing, except for Azure Explorer, you can actually play on curve at 4 mana and be perfectly fine. What's cool is that this combos with just with really any spell also. So play this with Fireball for some extra burn damage. Play it with the new... Um, I need to find it. Arcane Breath, one mana uh, rare spell, deal two damage to a minion. If you're holding a dragon, discover a spell. Great. And while you're discovering a spell, why don't you discover another Arcane Breath also? I just feel like there's a lot of potential with Azure Explorer to help you either control the board, deal some more burn damage, whatever you need, and at the same time, you're refilling your hand with another dragon. By the way, discover an Azure Explorer while you're at it. It's probably a really good thing that we still don't have those class weightings uh, and preferential treatment for uh, the class cards when it comes to discovering, because I, I feel like any of these baby dragons would be a real problem if that were the case. They could just go infinite, essentially. So I'm really excited about those cards, and I think, honestly, it's no understatement to say that they are a huge reason why dragon decks are going to be uh, potentially viable. And then the last one I have to mention is the brand new Galakrond. It was the only one that we hadn't seen yet, and it's the warrior version. Galakrond the Unbreakable. Seven mana, five armor, just like all other Galakrons. And uh, this Galakrond starts with the battle cry, draw one minion, give it plus four, plus four. When you upgrade this Galakrond, it will uh, up the battle cry to draw two minions, give them plus four, plus four. And ultimately into the third version, Azeroth's End is the name. Uh, battle cry draw four minions give them plus four plus four and equip a five two claw just like the other uh, ending versions of galakrond so this galakrond uh, every galakrond you also have to be very aware of its hero power because any invoke mechanics are going to trigger that uh, this galakrond's hero power is called galakrond's might it's two mana and give your hero plus three attack this turn this is a very interesting card, and I'm really excited that it does something so wildly different from what a Warrior has been known for in the past. 
they really needed to do this, especially with the uh, backlash on Dr. Boom Mad Genius. Um, I actually went up against a control warrior not too long ago and was still not too pleased. It feels much more balanced uh, than it did before, but, uh, but still wasn't excited to see it by any stretch of the imagination. This Galakrond is, or this hero card is more of an aggressive uh, strategy. It's hero power. Basically, anytime you invoke, you're going to be able to deal three damage with your face. Which um, I, I, heroic strike, I think, is the two mana spell. Give your hero plus four attack. Has always been a good card in really aggressive strategies. But the problem has always been that it takes up a card in your deck, especially early on. You just really don't want to do that. So I think the fact that all of the invoke cards, whether they're warrior or neutral, in this Galakron warrior deck are going to give you a free Frostbolt or Quickshot. Now you have to be able to attack with your face. So if they've got a taunt in the way or something, that's what makes it a little bit more balanced. Um, but I think that this like aggressive tempo build of Galakron is going to be really interesting. Don't know for sure if it's going to be uh, as effective as it needs to be, but um, but I think that it's really interesting that those invoke cards are just going to have a very immediate payoff. You think about the other invoke effects, like um, for priest, it's draw a random priest minion. For rogue, it's add a random lackey to your hand, and um, I can't remember what it was for warlock. So, oh yeah, it's summon two uh, one one imps, isn't it? And we actually haven't seen the Shaman, so I misspoke. Uh, we've still got one left to see. But this is the first invoke that's actually going to do something immediately, period. And so I think it's potentially the most powerful, um, and it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. The question is, will it be worth it in the end game? But I think because this is more of an aggressive build, you don't even really care if you draw Galakron. It's just that all of the other cards are going to have an immediate effect, and you can go face as long as there's not a taunt in the way. So uh, those are the cards I wanted to bring up and just tell you about. Again, we'll be talking about all of them in depth with, uh, with Wicked Good in the review. Be sure to check uh, out on Twitter at uh, Andrew's Living when we've got that, uh, this, uh, th those recordings scheduled because we're really excited for that. And honestly, I could have picked a number of other cards because there are tons of really interesting cards. I've seen a ton of conversation on Twitter about this set being on the same lines as Kobolds and Catacombs as far as power level is concerned. I don't think that those statements are unbased. I think that this is, uh, it's really going to be interesting to me, and I'm hopeful that this set is going to have a pretty big impact, even though um, the, the meta really has uh, settled overall outside of uh, these silly wild cards that came in and really changed things in not the best way. Uh, so that's um, that's most of the news. I should say on that topic as well that if you haven't heard yet, December 5th is actually the day that the wild cards are going to be rotating out of standard play. Uh, they, they were really not clear about when those cards are going to leave, so we all assumed it was going to be when Descent of Dragons released. But we're going to have this odd five-day um, meta that returns to Saviors of Old Doom before we have the Tombs of Terror event. And uh, well, not the Tombs of Terror. What was it called? Doom in the Tomb. That was the that was the name of the event uh, when the wild or these specific wild cards came into standard. So um, if you have not been enjoying the Evolve, um, you know, Desert Hair Insanity um, and or the Nizoth uh, Cartoon Defender. 
I can't blame you at all, but we'll have a few days there where you can go back to your old shenanigans. What's interesting is that Sathravar will still be playable, so I'm actually of the mindset that's, that uh, Holy Wrath Paladin may be one of the most effective things that you can do during that five-day period. Um, so I would highly recommend that, um, or I'd also highly recommend just waiting until the Central Dragons releases, because that's really when things are going to pick up. So before we jump into the main topic of today, um, I want to remind you all about um, the exclusive huge bonus that you get on the Patreon during this week leading up to the reveal of Descent of Dragons. If you are a, a patron of the show at $5 or above, you actually get view access to the full spreadsheet that Wicked Good and I spend a lot of time putting in our thoughts and our initial scores before going into the review episodes, uh, Wicked Good basically saved my bacon because I'm really bad at building these things. And actually, the founder of the Happy Hearthstone, Josh Augustine, had built these out himself. Um, and Steve has just been innovating every session, basically, into uh, just insanity so that we're ready to go. And this is a really fun thing that I love being able to give to patrons because it gives you behind the scenes. It gives you an extra step because... Um, uh, Steve and I throw a lot of inside jokes in this uh, to each other, and it's a lot of fun to just kind of go back and forth about these. Uh, you can get a glimpse at what we're thinking and see uh, see what the scores might be. There's always a chance when we get on air that we'll decide one way or the, the other um, that things are way better than we thought or way worse, and we are filling these out as we see them, so we have to modify things once uh, we've seen them all, but that's the whole point. So... Uh, so if you are a patron at $5 or above, be sure you've gone over to the Patreon to get your access so you can see uh, all the scores. And if you're not yet, I'd love for you to consider doing that even just for this month so that you can get that extra bonus and be able to see everything uh, and just be a part of what we're doing. So again, patreon.com slash the happy Hearthstone is where you can find that and all the other great perks that you can get for supporting the show. And thank you to everyone who's been supporting the show um, honestly, it's been over two years actually since the Patreon's been running, and it's just been a huge honor to be able to look back and uh, just see everyone who's been a part of that. So uh, Thanksgiving was a time when I was definitely thinking about all the friends I've made through this show, all the people who have believed enough to support it financially, and uh, everyone else uh, in between, whether you've been a listener, a friend, or anything. So uh, patreon.com slash thehappyarstone, you can check that out. Okay, let's talk about uh, about the meta, because like I said at the top of the show, this month was a really interesting one for me. So on, uh, I think it was a couple days before the reset uh, that I hit rank six finally. Uh, this past month, I actually played just uh, just over 100 games. I think it was it ended up being like 110, which is not a lot comparatively when it comes to laddering up. If you're somebody who's really wanted to hit Legend, really wanted to increase your gameplay, um, one of the things that I always tell people is that it takes a lot more games than you think it does. And especially if you average around rank 15 or rank 20, um, it's, it's going to take several months to actually get the momentum up to the ranks where you need to be in addition to learning everything and becoming a better player along the way. One, one of the big things that will help you and actually is fundamental to getting up to Legend is the amount of games that you play. So for myself, I have always, I think I've hit rank five at least um, for 
a year, maybe two years actually. And so this, this being the first month I wasn't able to get there was really a bummer. And I feel like with 100 games, I should have been able to get there. I actually started the month out at rank 8. So I'd hit rank 3 the previous month, which is about right. I think on average, I'd probably hit rank 3 or 2 most months, uh, with some months being able to make the push to legend and other months just not quite getting there. But honestly, it wasn't just the amount of games that I was playing. It was the amount of times I was losing. Uh, because looking at my gameplay, and I, I pulled these stats about a week before the end of the month, so I probably played somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 or 20 games over uh, the week of Thanksgiving. But um, and and those I weren't, I wasn't able to incorporate in this data, so take it with a grain of salt. But I was looking at 96 games that I had played over the month of November, and I had an overall 49% win rate, which really isn't terrible. Uh, it's obviously on the lesser side of what you want. Uh, and when you've played a ton of games, and I'm talking hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a thousand plus games, uh, a win rate of even like 53 or 54% is really good and, and, and uh, is going to get you where you want to go. But with the short amount of time or short amount of time and games that I had played, 49% is not likely going to get you there. And it's actually only the win streaks that allowed me to get any kind of momentum in my gameplay. What was really interesting was looking at um, my opponents as well as my own gameplay. So everyone knew that Shaman was really popular over this past uh, past couple months of uh, the Evolve meta. And if you're unaware for some reason, it's because of Desert Hair, it's because of Mogu Flesh Shaper, it's because of Mutate, and it's because of Evolve. And those four cards have become a whirlwind where if you're able to get them early in the game as a Shaman, there are very few decks that have a reliable answer, um, if any actually, that have a reliable answer. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know that anyone really did. So... I decided, especially when I was having trouble with the ladder, well, I just need to go all in on Shaman, learn this deck, and play it as brokenly as I can. So in my gameplay, I actually played 42 of those 96 games as Shaman. Most of them were spent with a token Shaman list that Wicked Good hit Legend with. I thought, let me just do this. I will go for the most broken cards and keep going. And I actually had a 60% win rate with that, which is really good. Um, I think it was actually the lost streaks that got me more discouraged than they should have and uh, was a reminder to me that you have to look at the statistics. I wished that I was looking at this earlier in the month because there were some streaks where I would lose three or four games in a row and get super discouraged and think Shaman isn't as good as people say it is. They're all lying, blah, blah, blah. And not actually looking at what my overall win percentage was uh, didn't set me up to make correct decisions that were based in facts rather than feeling. Uh, and I guess it is a fact that I lost five games in a row. But losing five, five games in a row is a less important fact than how many games you won over the past 20, 30, or 40 games overall. Uh, I did spend a lot of time with the, a secret Highlander Paladin as well. I had some really jumps or really significant jumps and hot win streaks with it. But in my 18 games that I played with it, I only had a 44% win rate. I'll be honest, over the past month, I actually felt better when I was playing Paladin overall than when I played Shaman. 
And I think that that's because of two things. One, I basically just uh, just explained. But the other is that um, I felt more in control with my Paladin games, whereas Shaman has gotten a rap, uh, correctly so, for being very powerful because of the high roll potential of it. And the high roll potential is based off of your ability to draw cards early, which there's some skill in knowing when and how to mulligan appropriately, but basically that is uh, just mulliganing away the cards that aren't those broken cards and hoping you draw those broken cards. So I, it's more complex than that, obviously, um, but that was a lot of my gameplay. With the Paladin deck, I felt more in control because, uh, because I had to determine my own destiny. Now, there were the games that I had a Secret Keeper on turn one and had the perfect secrets that helped me out. So this was a big, uh, a big takeaway, and it's something that I've learned in the past, but had to relearn through a, this very hard series. That you have to be careful when your feelings are getting in the way of your decisions for which deck you should be playing on the ladder. Specifically when those feelings are telling you not to play the thing that 99% of people are saying is the most broken thing on the ladder. Um... I did have a unique experience in, in so much as my opponents, which I'm about to talk about, but I still needed to own my own influence and, uh, and the decision of what deck archetype I was going to play. Uh, I, did, I did vacillate between Quest Shaman and that Token Shaman list a little bit. I was much less successful with Quest Shaman than I was with Token Shaman, uh, so I probably should have taken that into uh, consideration as well. Maybe there was a bit of ADD or, um, or um, just negative self-talk with, uh, with vacillating between those two. Uh, I think the thing that was the most difficult for me mentally was my past success dictating my current uh, frustrations. So because I'm able to hit ranks two and three on a normal month, not being able to break away from ranks 8 through 10 was really frustrating for me. And I, I know that's going to sound entitled to a lot of people. Um, please hear me that I'm not saying I'm too good for this. What I'm saying is that in the past, uh, in months, I'm able to perform better than I was during this month. And it's during a month when there's one deck in particular that seems to be very reliable, and for me it's not. Why is that? And what is going on? These are all the kind of mental blocks that, honestly, um, I'm usually drawn to when it comes to conversations around Hearthstone because I think that they are the most, uh, the most important and the things that you have the most control over, especially in a game where there are random elements that are unavoidable, like the fact that you are drawing cards, the fact that you don't control the cards that you start the game with. Um, there are decisions to be made that are based off of risk. And sometimes you choose the right things and you still don't get the results that you want. So you have to be able to own your mindset, own the decisions that you're making, and own the, own the things that are not as good as they could be. And uh, not just be okay with that, but embrace the reality that there's a growth pattern that you can, that you can make and that you can control, regardless of with, whether you see the immediate payoff that you'd like to see in the game. So for me, this was a this was a really big coming back to the basics kind of thing, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't learn it during the month. I'm only learning it in retrospect and in the time I spent uh, prepping for this episode, essentially. Uh, but regardless, it's something I'm taking into this month. 
Um, I'm not in a hurry to get back to where I was on the ladder. Uh, I, and I would ideally like to get back up to rank five before Descent of Dragons hits, but I'm not putting the pressure on myself because I know that once that's out, I'm going to be playing this game uh, incessantly. And I don't think Battlegrounds is going to be my main uh, my main source of enjoyment for the game any longer, at least for a few weeks or so, uh, because I'm going to be really excited to play all of these dragons and see what the game has to offer in these new archetypes and Galakrond decks, all that kind of stuff. So um, I alluded to this and really wanted to go more in depth with this as well, uh, as far as what my opponents were playing. So I very interesting thing, and I actually pulled these stats off of my personal uh, replays in hsreplay.net. Um, you all know I'm extremely biased, but I'm a huge proponent <laughs> for using a deck tracker. And the one of the big upsides for this was that I was able to sit down and look through my replays over the past month and gain a lot of insight based off of what I played against and how I played against those things. Now, um, what 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 you can do if you have an hsreplay.net account is you can go to your replays and you can actually filter them based off of your um, your class that you played with, but you can also do it by your opponent's class. And I in the past, honestly, I've kind of looked at that and thought, I don't know that I'm really going to use that much. But this month in particular, I felt like I never saw Shaman, and especially when everyone was complaining about it, I never is too strong a word. But I wasn't seeing it nearly as much as it seemed like I should be, especially with how people were uh, pretty vocal about its uh, its dominance on the ladder. So going back through that, I looked at this. Um, again, 96 games that I'm drawing this data off of. 19 of those games were against Shaman. So roughly 20% of those games were against Shaman. That's still a lot of games, but it's not... It's not as much as I expected to see. Uh, nine games against Priest, nine against Paladin, 13 against Rogue, 10 against Druid, and five against Warrior. Uh, the other classes were very underrepresented, um, but that, that, was, uh, that was the bulk of it. So actually, the delta between Shaman and Rogue was only six games, uh, which is a little more than a quarter, I guess, of what I was seeing against Shaman. That doesn't seem like an extremely dominant uh, force. What was really interesting was actually looking at the win rate I had against different classes. So against Shaman, I had a 37% win rate. That's pretty bad. But get this, against Priest and Paladin, I had a 33% win rate. That's atrocious. And against Warrior, you want to guess what my win rate was? 0%. And that's mostly because Control Warrior has a, a complete and utter dominance against Token Shaman, which is what I was playing for the most part. Um, really interesting to see that actually my success was solely because of the opponents I had that were playing Rogue or Druid. I had a 69% win rate against Rogue, a 70% win rate against Druid. So it seemed like it was because of these poor, unfortunate souls that were playing uh, decks that weren't well suited against Shaman that I was actually able to eke out um, a very significant high win rate. And um, there's a lot to glean from this, um, but there was one thing in particular that I felt was far and above the big takeaway here. And that's that things are different on different tiers of the ladder. 
And here's what I mean by that. I, I've talked a little bit with the Inner Fire group. Uh, it's, it's my inner circle through the Patreon about how the different tiers of ladder, uh, you have different needs uh, to meet in order to play against the field of competitors that you're going to have. Um, and that's, that's up to each of the floors. So ranks 20 through 16, you're actually trying to accomplish different things uh, in the decks that you're going to choose to play and how you're going to learn to play against your opponents, as opposed to ranks 15 through 11, and same from five, 10 to 6 and 5 to 1. And, um, I, you know, on, in most months when I've hit ranks uh, 2 and 3 as my highest, um, I'll fall at the beginning of the month to rank 7 or 6. And usually I'll, I'll be able to get back up to five without a ton of, um, without a ton of problems or anything like that. This path, the past month was very different and I ended up starting at rank eight, falling to rank 10, working back to rank eight, falling back to rank 10. And then eventually I think I made my way up very slowly up to rank six. And that was kind of the entirety of my story. And um, because of that, I just I saw firsthand that the decks people were choosing to play were were radically different. Uh, you'll notice that there's, that there's actually one class that I left out when I was talking about my opponents, and that's because it was Hunter. Hunter actually made up the remainder of those games. I played against Hunter 25 times during this whole run. That's actually more than Shaman. And it was honestly absurd to me. I started feeling it at certain times like, I feel like all I'm seeing is Hunter and I'm not seeing a single Shaman. Well, sure enough, when I looked at my data on hsreplay.net, it reflected that exactly. In fact, in the past 20 games that I, or the last 20 games, which I didn't cite, um, I came up against three Shamans total. Uh, Hunter, I came up against five. And then there were a few priests and a few, a few other spatterings of different classes. So Hunter was actually the absurdly dominant force when it came to who my opponents were on the ladder. And I didn't see a single person on Twitter or Discord or anywhere complaining about the amount of Hunter on the ladder. And I think part of that's because Hunter's a bit more fair. My win rate was much closer to 50% against Hunter than it was with any of the other classes. Uh, but if you want to talk about a class that's dominant as far as uh, what you can expect to see, my experience said that the, by like the far and large uh, biggest class played was Hunter. And there's a chance that that could be just because of me, uh, just because of my experience on the ladder. Uh, it's not necessarily true of all players between 10 and 6. But I think, I think that that's the closest thing that I can relate it to is the fact that I was playing in a different tier than I normally do and uh, the players in those ranks were choosing it a lot more. And honestly, it's a super solid deck. It has a pretty good win rate against Shaman. So I think it's a very good choice in that tier. Um, but if you were like me and were just listening to some of the, uh, you know, the top tier players or what others are saying about the ladder, you may have heard that Shaman is the most drastically overplayed class in the entire game right now. And it actually may have ended up not being true for you like it didn't end up being true for me. 
And so it was just a huge reminder that you have to pay close attention um, to what you're seeing, to what other players in your tier on the ladder are playing. And uh, honestly, one of the best resources, again, is HS Replay for that, because with premium filters, you can actually dial down to those different tiers. And oftentimes, when I was checking it during that time, I actually saw that Paladin and Hunter were the two most played classes from ranks 10 through 6 during that month. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I want to I say this because it was a learning point for me to be aware of that. But for you, the listener, I've got a feeling that many of you also are at those, uh, those tiers that not as many people are talking about. There's not a podcast out there for rank 15 to 11 players. Um, at least there's not like a niche that's specifically dedicated to that part of the ladder. Um, and so I think it's really important to take what you're hearing with a grain of salt uh, and compare what you're hearing to your own data to your own experience, and be able to find something that's in the middle. Just because I wasn't experiencing many Shaman players did not mean that I was definitely not going to see that. Uh, I was honestly pretty surprised that in the final days I didn't see more of an uptick, because that's kind of what I expected near the end of the month. People would just throw their weight at what's most tried and true, and generally accepted as the overpowered class, uh, and didn't actually see that in the last days. I saw, like I said, more Hunter than anything. So um, it's a really interesting to see that. But um, that's my big takeaway, peppered with a lot of other takeaways. But I want to encourage you that especially if you're playing at some of those other tiers like I am right now, uh, take what you're hearing from the top tier players with a grain of salt. It's still helpful. It will still help you become better. Um, but there are different things that you need to do at those tiers that will actually help you improve and hone in your gameplay rather than just playing what's overpowered or what people are complaining about and what the flavor of the of the week is, essentially. So there you go. Um, I'd honestly love to hear from you if you have that ex- same experience. Um, if, it's, if it's something where you've heard people talking about a deck but just haven't seen that uh, nearly as much as they have uh, and uh, trying to make sense of what your experience means next to the pros or other people who are playing more ladder. I'd love to hear what your takeaways have been, whether that's recent or in prior months. Uh, and you can uh, get in touch with me at the Happy Hearthstone Discord, probably the easiest way. You can go to the happyhearthstone.com slash Discord and click the link there to join our growing community on Discord. Or you can reach out to me directly on Twitter at Andrews Living or through email at the happyhearthstone at gmail.com. I'd love to feature some of those conversations uh, maybe in the episode that I'll make near the end of December. All right, no uh, no iTunes reviews, but I always have to plug it because it's an important way to support the show. It's a critical way, and it's completely free to do. So if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts right now, go on over to the review section, leave a quick review, let people know what you like about the show, why you keep coming back. Or if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so on iTunes, on your computer, or uh, on another device. And you know what, friends? Even though my voice is completely shot... I knew I couldn't rob you of a card of the week because I did take a week or two off because there was so much going on with BlizzCon and uh, did not think that that was fair as much as uh, as much as my voice could probably use it. So I'm going to take a sip of tea and then I'm going to hit you with the best that I've got considering. Hello, Junkbot, my old friend. I've come to tune you up again. Because a mode's completely different.
different. Now you're something of a legendary expert. In my opinion, of how strong that you could be during GVG still lives with me. You can't be silenced. Okay, you'll have to forgive my octaves and my butchering of part of them. <laughs> but hopefully uh, it was listenable. Uh, that wasn't listenable, let's be real. <laughs> Uh, the card of the week this week is Junkbot, a 5-mana 1-5 epic neutral minion. It's a mech, and he reads, Whenever a friendly mech dies, gain plus 2, plus 2. I should find the episodes way back. Some of you may not even know. When I started my Hearthstone podcasting uh, journey with my friends Rob and Eve over Villains Chosen, it was, uh, it was close after uh, Goblins vs. Gnomes had been released. And I tell you what, I loved me some junk bot. I thought it was a cool card. I thought that there was a lot of potential as long as he could stick on the board uh, for a turn or two. Um, but good lord, he never lived up. Uh, I even, you know, actually I forgot about this, but I had a Hobgoblin mech junk bot deck because with Hobgoblin it would buff any card that you played with one attack to uh, with plus two plus two so we immediately got a buff with that and that's just that's just trying to do too many things that don't normally work essentially but goodness has Junkbot been revived in the best way in Battlegrounds he's now a tier five minion in Battlegrounds and I, I, I mean I had to dedicate a card of the week to him because Junkbot buddy I believed in you then even though you were, if I'm really sober-mindedly speaking and take out all the emotion, you were just a straight-up bad card. But I loved you then, and I love you now, and I love that you are uh, receiving your due time. Uh, Junkbot is such a great card to pick in Battlegrounds because it gives you a huge payoff. And unlike some of the other uh, cards that scale with dying cards, I guess Scavenging Hyena might actually be the only one. You've got Soul Juggler, kind of, uh, that does active damage on the board. But Junkbot, because it starts off with a lot of health and gets health, uh, multiple variants of health every time a friendly mech dies, it can spin out of control. And actually, I got a first this morning with Dance and Daryl with mostly mechs. And it was because I was able to get a couple of replicating menaces uh, magnetized on my, where were they? On uh, the security rover and I think a Nightmare Amalgam. Although I want to say it was a different mech than that. Um, so once you get enough replicating menaces and those little guys are going in, obviously the security rover is helpful too. Junkpot, it can just spin wildly out of control. As long as your opponent doesn't have some crazy poisonous or like the absurd uh, Murloc synergy of Wind Fury, Divine Shield, and Poisonous, Junkbot can do some serious work. And he did. And I felt uh, so fantastic. So thank you, Junkbot, for hanging in there. Thank you, Hearthstone Development Team, for not forgetting our long-lost friend and giving him the time that he needs in the sun, truly. All right, well, hey, as we close up this show, I just want to thank you, as always, remind you that you are the happy Hearthstone. This podcast is about our great community, and I'm so honored and thankful that you joined me for this episode, especially when I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh, hopefully, I wasn't under the weather mentally 
at least not you know not any more than I normally am. I can get easily distracted or meander my way through thought patterns and stuff. But uh, it's it's been really fun coming back, being with you. And I want to encourage you uh, to think about what your next step with the show might be. If you're newer to the show, it might even be coming back next week, checking out these review episodes, telling a friend about them. Uh, honestly, any social sharing that you do, for especially for those review episodes, go a long, long way. So as you see me tweeting those out, please share them uh, on your own through re- retweets or telling a friend and letting them, or, uh, or even a social uh, influencer. Maybe there's a Twitch streamer you listen to and you want to get the word out to them about that. Uh, that really would mean a lot and go a long way. Hey, these crazy bozos recorded three hours of reviews. You should check it out. That's that's enough to get someone's attention. So thank you all so much to those of you who do that and for those of you who will do that. Also, thank you again to each of you who are giving on the Patreon and upping your game. I have to be honest that uh, you know it, the $5 level has been a place where exclusive content uh, is supposed to be given every week. And I've been struggling to get those out, partially due to the holidays and partially also because uh, my the means of which I had to record those um, those gameplay uh, things have actually been stricken from my computer, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess uh, my work found out that I had uh, some gaming things on my computer and wasn't... Uh, so it wasn't, uh, you know, hyped about that as much as I was. Funny thing is I've had them on for over a year, um, but it's completely their right to do that. So um, so now my means of recording is uh, very limited. I'll, I'll probably still do some recording on my phone, even though it's not quite as great quality. I, it's still watchable, and I'll be able to do that a lot, uh, a lot better than pretty much anything else. Um, I forgot to update you, too, at the beginning of the show about my microphone, because... Uh, you'll remember from the past episode, I had a part fall out when we jumped into recording. I actually, I, I revisited the microphone and I found out the part actually collapsed into the microphone. So I can actually still see the micro USB port. I just need to get in there with like some tweezers or a really powerful magnet and see if I can uh, get it out. So there's a chance I might actually be able to uh, get it back up and functional. But until then, I'll be on... Uh, my minimal viable product here. And I thank you all for bearing with me in the meantime. Um, After BlizzCon and also November's the time when I actually pay hosting fees for the website and stuff like that, um, even even the Patreon funds that are coming in are pretty limited. So I appreciate all of you who are making that possible. It'll just be a little time before I can uh, really invest in that again. So, and thank you so much to Menoc, Jay Miller, and Number Theory for being producers of the Happy Hearthstone because you three are truly uh, the gas in the tank. So, thank you for supporting at the level you do. I love being able to do our coaching sessions each and every month. Loved having Jay Miller on the last episode too. I hope you all have been able to check out his uh, his new Battlegrounds podcast he teased last time, uh, Bob's Tavern. It's up and running. So you should go check out episode one on any podcast app that you're listening to this too. Um, so thank you all three for supporting the show, the level you do. Really should close this out. So I'm just going to thank you so because I've, I've talked to you about my Twitter and Twitch and all that stuff. Just be sure to keep an eye out for when uh, we end up uh, nailing down that review record time so that you don't miss the live recording. It'll be a lot of fun and uh, we love being able to uh, to do that. So Thank you so much for visiting with me on this episode. Thanks for dealing with me and the tail end of my cold. 
Hopefully I'll be back up and at them completely for the review episodes. Thanks so much for visiting the Happy Hearthstone and having a little fun with us. I'll see you next time.